Welcome to This Week in California Education. I'm Louis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Well, it's Labor Day weekend, and as many of you will have noticed, especially for those of you who have had school-age kids hanging around the house the last few months, schools have already opened, and that's a big shift away from the traditional school calendar when kids went back to class the day after Labor Day. Of course, this is nothing new. This has been creeping up on us for the last several years that the early start now appears to be the norm rather than the exception. There's also a legislative deadline. In Sacramento, lawmakers race to approve bills to get to the governor before September 1st, and the governor will now have until October 15th either to sign or veto them. Also this week, the Gates Foundation announced the first round of grants in its new grant-making strategy, which it calls Networks for School Improvement. We're going to be talking with Rick Miller, who is executive director of the Core Districts, which snagged a $16 million five-year grant. That's the biggest grant that Gates announced this week, and a big vote of confidence in California, or at least recognizing its importance in terms of reaching low-income African-American and Latino students. But first, John, tell us about some of the significant bills that went to the governor's desk this week. I understand, uh, for example, the legislature has now weighed in on giving districts the option to administer the SAT and ACT instead of the smarter balance tests in the 11th grade. And the smarter balance tests are those tests that are aligned with the Common Core. Right. That's the bill we talked about in last week's podcast. If you missed it, you can go back and catch it. And the Senate finally this week gave its approval. It was near unanimous. So now it goes to Governor Brown, who's going to be lobbied hard by State Superintendent of Public Instruction Tom Torlakson and Michael Kurse, president of the State Board of Education, who is against this bill. The legislature also moved ahead on a charter school bill to ban for-profit schools in California. What was that all about? Well, if it sounds familiar, it is. About three years ago, the governor vetoed a similar bill. There are not many for-profit charter school operators in California. It's really about a half dozen that operate about a total of 35 schools. These are either for-profit corporations that run the schools or for-profit corporations that have non-profit schools that they control. And... That's only about 3 or 4% of the students in the state who attend these schools, mostly online. Opponents of charter schools like to make it sound as if there are a majority of the schools, of charter schools in California, but they're not. Nonetheless, there's a movement to, to ban them, and the charter school folks pretty much support this because it's a headache for them too. You mean charter school advocates pretty much support banning for-profit schools. Yeah, they consider it a headache. It's sort of like guilt by association because there have been reports of you know profiteering by corporate owners. So it's got a lot of bad publicity, and then this brushes over to the nonprofit charter sector. So California Charter School Association would love to have this problem out of its hair and say all charter schools in California are run by nonprofit corporations. And that seems to be the way things are going. I mean, uh, they're almost certain next governor of California, Gavin Newsom, he said he's against for-profit schools, both candidates for the superintendent of public instruction position. They are also against for-profit schools. The charter people are against it themselves. So isn't this inevitable? And why wouldn't Governor Brown sign it? Well, the governor raises a good point. 
the problem is legislating something. All districts have contracts with for-profit companies. They buy textbooks. They buy supplies. They hire food services people. These are for-profit companies that districts do. Well, charter schools want to do the same thing. So the problem is how you control, make sure that these are not companies that control your school, how you draw a bill which says, okay, you can contract with for-profit companies, but they can't control you. So how you write a bill that solves that, the governor was concerned about the ambiguity of a language, and he still may be concerned about this bill too. Okay, well, we have a few weeks to see what he does on that, but there were also some uh, pretty modest school safety bills that went to the governor's desk this year following the Parkland, Florida school massacre. What were those bills about? There are three we looked at. David Washburn, our reporter, wrote about that this week. They're pretty modest bills compared with some of the other actions that other states are doing. One would require schools that are refurbishing to put locks from the inside in classrooms. Another one would require schools to have safety plans. But they already have safety plans, but this is to upgrade those plans. I think it would require annual safety drills. And there's a third bill, which is, will be more controversial. This bill would enable school employees to take out restraining orders against people that they consider might do harm to themselves or to others through guns. We would authorize the police to take away those weapons. The governor vetoed a similar bill a couple of years ago, and he may still have concern. It's, it's very tricky and requires a, a lot of courage, in fact, for a school employee to do this because that person then becomes named in the restraining order. So now the waiting game begins, waiting to see what bills Governor Brown will sign, which ones he'll veto, and which ones he won't do anything on, because that means they will automatically become law. He has until October 15th to take action, the last time he will have a chance to leave his permanent imprint on the state. It will be fascinating to see what that is. This week, the Gates Foundation announced a series of new grants. That in and of itself is not big news. The Gates Foundation announces lots of new grants. But these represented a big shift in the foundation's education strategy for its K-12 schools. And it really pointed in a new direction, a move away from the top-down and often controversial initiatives the foundation has underwritten over the past decade or two like its attempts to link teacher evaluations with measures of student growth, such as test scores. It was also a major backer of the Common Core standards in math and English language arts. The focus will now be on bottom-up solutions in support of networks of districts and schools working together. Out of the $92 million in grants that the Gates Foundation announced, nearly $40 million will go to six California nonprofit organizations. Full disclosure, the Gates Foundation is one of about a dozen foundations that its source gets funding from. As part of Gates' new initiative, one of the biggest grants went to the Core Districts, a partnership of eight urban districts in California. The partnership will get $16 million over five years. That's a pretty substantial grant. And on the line, we have Rick Miller, Core's Executive Director, to talk about the grant, 
We first asked Rick to tell us a bit about what the district partnership actually does. Core Districts is a collaborative of eight mostly large urban districts in California. So Sacramento, Oakland, San Francisco, Fresno, Long Beach, Garden Grove, LA, and Santa Ana. So most of the large urbans are part of our collaborative. And this, the simple way to think of it is that we just sort of found that we can be better together. In my opinion, one of the most meaningful reforms over the last decade in public education has been the notion of PLCs, teachers working meaningfully together to improve student achievement. Historically, they actually tend to compete or just not talk to each other. So the idea, of course, is we have similar work. We have a moral imperative to serve the kids that are in our inner systems that have some of the very same challenges, and it makes sense for us to talk to each other, work together, and learn from each other. But a network for school improvement, which is what Gates is calling its initiative, that's what you do, right? That's exactly right. So we're learning from each other. So as we try different things and we experiment around trying to improve our practice, that when we, when we find things that work or things that don't work, that it just doesn't stay isolated in one school or one district, but we're learning from, the, from a larger network of folks. So the Gates Foundation has given you actually the single largest grant, $16 million over five years in this initial round of funding. So what is it, Rick, that Gates has seen in the work of CORE that that led to the decision to give you this money, and what will you be doing with it? Well, I think the reason that we were uh, supported the level we were is because we've kind of been at this longer than most folks for almost eight years now. And so we've sort of worked out the kinks. And I think probably most importantly in a network, the thing that we found is the most important aspect is uh, trust with each other, like knowledge of each other and the willingness to work together in meaningful ways. And it takes time to build that trust and that familiarity and your, your ability to work together. And so we've established that. And so since we have established that relationship, I think we're able to move a little farther, a little faster. And we're probably more ready for this when the Gates Foundation decided to invest large in this, in this area. His goal here is to improve the achievement and also school enrollment of low-income Latino and African-American students across the nation. So how is it that the work that you'll be doing now for this grant satisfies that goal? Even before this grant, our main work was in in trying to uh, work specifically towards improving math achievement for African-American and Latinx youth. Um, it was something all of our districts struggle with, and we agreed collectively it made sense for us to go together. And we're using a continuous improvement technique called improvement science as a way to do it, which is just basically a way of working together to test different theories, test different lessons, learn whether they're working, use data to inform, and then change our practice based on what works and what does not work. And so we're doing that across our network around mathematics instruction. The next stage we're taking with this new investment from Gates is actually to make to move in what we call a breakthrough series. The work we were doing was sort of taking this idea, here's a thorny problem that frankly no one has figured out. No one knows how to do this well, and we're going to try to learn together how we can be better. Another way to think about this in terms of breakthrough is there are things in education that people actually do know about, that there's a pretty good research base to say these things work. I think frankly we know a lot about chronic absenteeism. The problem we have there is it's less about what we know what we know works and more about it's not being implemented sort of systemically. So we looked at particularly this notion of ninth grade on track, which has been a lot of work done at the University of Chicago and the Chicago Public Schools and across the country. And there's a good research base of what to do if you pay attention to ninth grade on track, which is the number of kids that come into ninth grade, they're not on track to graduate, and what you do in the ninth grade to put them back on track. So what we know, for instance, is in the freshman year, GPA predicts high school graduation twice as well as test scores. And a freshman earns a 3.0 is five times more likely to graduate from high school with access to a selected college. So we know GPAs matter. It makes sense then to pay attention. One thing we also know from the work in Chicago is that we don't pay enough attention to tracking Ds. 
and paying attention to Ds. Oftentimes, kids with Ds are lumped in with kids with Fs and then sort of put to the side. And in fact, a D is an area where if you pull it out, you pay particular attention to it, we actually can move those kids towards a C in a quicker fashion. So it's paying attention to all kids, but also recognizing there's different places where they come from and then a different intervention is necessary. So just sort of learning these techniques, learning what worked in other places, and then trying to port them here to our districts is the idea that we're trying to bring forward in, in our breakthrough series. talking with Rick Miller, who is executive director of the core districts. Rick, just uh, wanted you to cast your mind back a little bit. I mean, what's so interesting is that the Gates Foundation, which really is the largest funder of education in the nation, maybe the world, that around seven, eight years ago, they'd actually pulled out of California completely. And now they've come back kind of in a big way. You know, 40 million out of this 90 million initial investment is going to California organizations. What do you think explains this reversal? So I think there's probably several things going on. I think probably a big part of it is simply that, you know, they recognize that they have a focus on the kids that are in the greatest need across the country, uh, low-income students, students of color. And if you're looking to serve those kids, the vast majority of kids that are in need are frankly are in the state of California, the kids that make up the student population in our districts. So you can't do this, you can't close the gap, and you can't look at equity if you don't look at California. I think the second thing is, there's been a lot of work going on in California at the local level. I think it's had impact. And you have different networks like ours, or the California Education Partners, or people like High Tech High, doing innovative things, trying to figure out ways to improve, and that was noticed by the Gates Foundation. And I think, it's, uh, I think it is a testament to the policy track that California's on and the progress we're making. I do want to ask you, though, I mean, you've gotten a $16 million grant. It sounds like a lot of money. That's over five years, about $3 million. You break it up into a bunch of districts. I mean, combined, these districts probably have budgets in the billions of dollars. So how much difference is this going to make? I mean, what actually are you going to be spending the money on? Will it be going to, you know, sort of a bunch of consultants with parents and kids kind of see anything as a result of this investment? You know, where actually is the money going to go? It goes to multiple places, Lewis. So it goes to coaches. So we're going to bring on coaches that actually have an expertise on improvement science and ninth grade on track that will help our districts think this through and help them know how to make the changes necessary at the school and district level. We're making a large investment in data infrastructure so we can get information, meaningful information back to teachers in real time so they can use that information to improve. We're investing actually a significant amount in research. So we have a partnership with PACE here in California to document our work. One, to help us regularly know what's working and use the research background to inform our work and also to document our work so we can share with the greater community. So if we stumble onto something, if we're successful, that it doesn't stay isolated just to our districts but can use throughout California and the country. So across the board, all these investments. Uh, and then of course, some will go back to the districts themselves for things like sub time and training time. So all those things have costs and that's all factored in as well. Yeah, teacher time is important aspect of this, right? It takes time to do this continuous improvement, as it's called. And one of the things that has struck me, Rick, is that there are actually very few examples you can point to that ties student improvement at this point to networks of improvement, to the work that they've done. So what is it that you hope 
will go beyond you know solving a discrete problem to larger gains and larger issues that these networks will deal with. The Gates Foundation and us are taking a large bet. We have reason to believe, we have experience to believe that when you network, it actually makes you stronger and better. But we have a lot to prove to show that this does, in fact, work. And I think there are lessons you can learn and then the ability to scale. So, like, for instance, you were talking about uh, teacher time together. In a typical high school setting, there are windows that open and close. And if you miss a window, it could be a year before you get back to it. So one thing I'm thinking of is the master schedule. And if when the master schedule is openly considered, you don't factor in teacher time together, then you're kind of done for the year. So just sort of recognize these things, paying attention to these moments and making sure you act on them is part of what we're going to be working on. And the idea being is if you, you remember I was saying, so our first work is very narrow at you know math for African-American and Latino youth in sort of the middle grades. And then the breakthrough series says we're going to actually take something we know works and try to scale it. So we're trying to really build multiple muscles, a muscle to actually take thorny issues and figure out how do we get better on things we're not sure how to do right now. And then when we do figure out how to improve uh, teaching and learning, what can we do to scale that across a network, across a district and across a network? And so both muscles matter. And that's what we're trying to do with this latest investment from the Gates Foundation. So Mike Kurse, from the president of the state board, is always cautioning these changes will take time and require patience. Nonetheless, the legislature will probably be looking at this and say, we want some proof. Say two years from now, Rick, and you had to go before a legislative committee. What is it that you will tell them? At least you hope to be able to tell them that you've done that's worth the investment. We don't know for a fact that networks work. And so if I'm a legislature, I tend to agree it doesn't make sense to invest a lot of state tax dollar money into this until we know something. So philanthropy can help you figure these things out. And then once we actually know something works, then we can talk about how the state can play a role in it. So I think that the way we're structuring this makes a lot of sense. And in two years, I think we're going to begin to see some change. So we have, you know, very granular information. So again, back to the work we're already doing. We're at an elementary school in Los Angeles. We're working really hard and we have run charts, daily run charts of what's happening. And so the, the change idea that the teacher is trying to implement in Los Angeles is the notion of when she does mathematics, kids are not trying different strategies to get the answer. They're writing down the one answer and they're done. And so she had a change idea of how we're going to help them look at multiple strategies. And then we actually watched over the course of several months where the, all the kids improved. We got to like 80 or 90% of the kids in that class using multiple strategies. So we have data like that. It's not showing that the SBAC went up to proficiency yet. It's not showing that but it's showing reasons to believe we're on the right track and then we in core have a growth model where we're actually looking at the improvement at the student level in a classroom to see how much they grew over the course of a year that tells us a little more fine grain than what the smarter balance test tells us so slowly we start getting some leading indications and some data that can show us we're on the right track and i think and i expect within two years we'll be able to see some of that to know that we're making good progress That was Rick Miller, Executive Director of the Core Districts. You know, John, one of the things that was very interesting about the Gates announcement this week was that the biggest grant were five-year grants. That's kind of unusual in philanthropy. Yeah, I agree with you, Lewis, and I think that shows the seriousness of this initiative and that Gates is willing to invest and take time and see what happens, recognizing it will take time. Based on my experience uh, here at EdSource, which is now quite extensive in fundraising for this organization, it's very unusual for a grant to last five years. In fact, very often the grants are for one year. And so you're constantly on this treadmill of applying, 
reapplying and not really having time to see whether things are actually producing the results that one hopes for. Well, if you remember back to the No Child Left Behind era, many of those grants in the federal government were two years, three years. And in fact, they'd make changes and then they'd disappear as soon as the money left. That just about wraps it up for this week in California education. Thanks to our sponsor, the S.D. Bechtel Jr. Foundation. Our producer is Shuka Kalantari. Our music is from Nate Schwartz, Jazz Orchestra. Also contributing his compositional skills is Justin Allen, its source's in-house composer. And you can find us on iTunes and at edsource.org slash podcast. I'm Lewis Friedberg. And I'm John Fensterwald. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next week. <laughs> <laughs>